One thing I have to say that it is an an honor and a privilege to be in a body of surrounded by men of so much wisdom. Our elders are very wise, and um, I don't take what their their advice lightly. I take that very seriously. So I appreciate that. I don't have a whole lot of time. So what I wanted to do was kind of set the stage, um, kind of discuss what the outline is going to be for the next couple of weeks. Um, so what I'm, my talk is on how should men lead their families. And one thing I encourage the fathers, please read this material. It is convicting yet encouraging. And I... Rec- strongly recommend. So, as far as a as a uh, homework assignment, please read this material. Um, you may need to read it more than once. I'm going on my sixth time reading this. That's sixth time. Um, <clears throat> so, what I wanted to do was start off with kind of the outline. Um, first, we're going to be talking about really what I wanted to touch on today is. Uh, James Patton and the preeminent duties of parents. Uh, there's a story of James Patton in the in the book, but I, I kind of expanded upon it a little bit more, and I wanted to read because it kind of sets the tone for this moving forward. Um, and office bearers by union with Christ um, is, and I'm kind of walking through the outline here. And this is what I'm going to talk about in the next few weeks. Um, we long to impart spiritual good to our children uh, with. Uh, however, there are barriers, our foolishness, our weakness, uh, corrupted, our corruption, our own sin. Um, the other topic is our union with Christ. Uh, we share his office in a limited but important way. Um, that is part of our, our duty as, as men and as leaders in our home. And um, there is in which we are to lead our families uh, and our, our wives as well, and our children, as prophets, priests, and kings. So I'll kind of expand a little bit more on that. And the prophet in the home, the priest in the home, as well as the king in the home. Uh, and that will encompass discipline uh, and those areas of discipline we could focus on. To wrap it up, we'll conclude. Um, I anticipate this taking probably two weeks to walk through because it's a, quite a bit of material. Uh, but I want to make sure that we get a clear understanding. I don't have a. <laughs> All right, I, how's that? All right, I, I you know I'm not a I'm not a loud person. I like yelling. <laughs> that's, that's my name. So, uh, so first off, I, I wanted to to really share the story of James uh, Payton. Um, I had to read through this several times uh, because the first time I read through it, I wept, and the second time I read through it, I wept. Um, but it, I think it it really paints a very vivid picture of um, how important um, 
it is for fathers to lead their children and their families in a biblical way. Um, parents, <clears throat> I'm sorry, James Patton, I'm sorry, James Patton and the preeminent duties of parents. Parents who are more devoted to Jesus Christ than their kids leave a powerful imprint on their children. Such a parent leaves a spiritual legacy to his children that says knowing and loving Jesus Christ is more valuable than anything else in the world. Can you hear me? That is a legacy that James Payton, a stocking manufacturer in a small way, gave his son, John Gibson Payton, in 19th century Scotland. And God used that legacy to make John G. Payton a great missionary to Jesus Christ. John lived from 1824 to 1907. He was a notable Presbyterian missionary to the islands of the South Pacific. Even though he was threatened by death, he continually preached faithfully and used and was used by God for the conversion of many heathens as well as to influence many other godly men to walk as missionaries. John faced numerous difficulties and sorrows, but preserved in the name of Christ. Uh, kind of a side note where he was, it was um, cannibalism was um, one of the things that he had to deal with. Um, so um, in light of what he was doing, uh, that danger was always uh, present. One way God prepared John for his work was through his father's example. Where did John come from? How did God mold this kind of tender tenacity that would risk all for the sake of getting the gospel to the island of the South Pacific? Patton himself reveals the roots of his useful life when he writes about the lasting influence of his father. His dad loved the church and determined to use every Lord's Day for the greatest spiritual benefit of his family. The local church did not teach sound doctrine, so they walked four miles to an Orthodox church every Sunday. In 40 years, his father only missed worship three times. Can anybody guess what those three times were when he missed worship? Scroll. No. Uh, what? What's that? Actually, no. <laughs> One was due to a snowstorm. Two was an ice storm. And the third was because of an outbreak of cholera. Every morning and evening, his father would lead the family in worship at home. His dad had a small closet where he would go and pray, usually after every meal. John never got over the impact of his father's prayers. Years later, he wrote this. Though everything else in religion were by some unthinkable catastrophe to be swept out of memory, were blotted from my understanding, my soul 
would wander back to those early scenes and shut itself up once again in that sanctuary closet. And hearing still the echoes of those cries to God would hurl back all doubt with a victorious appeal. He walked with God. Why may not I? That's his from his autobiography. How much my father's prayers at this time impressed me, I can never explain, nor could any stranger understand. When on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his whole soul with tears. For the conversion of the heathen world. To the service of Jesus Christ. And for every personal and domestic need. We all felt as if in the presence of the living Savior and learned to know and love him as our divine friend. As we rose from our knees, I used to look at the light of my father's face and wish I were like him in spirit, hoping that in answer to his prayers, I might be privileged and prepared to carry the blessing, the blessed gospel to some portion of the heathen world. Excuse me. That's, that's, that's where this gets to me. Uh, when the time came for John to leave home to go to Glasgow to attend divinity school and become a city missionary, in his early 20s, he had to make a 40-mile walk to the train station. Forty years later, this is what he wrote about that day. My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it were if it had been but yesterday. And tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then, whenever memory stills me away to that scene. For the last half mile or so, we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as was often his custom, carried his hat in hand, while his long flowing yellow hair, then yellow, but in later years white as snow, streamed like a girl's <laughs> down his shoulders. His lips kept moving in silent prayers for me, and his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. We halted and reached the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand and firmly for a minute in silence, and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears, we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could, and when about to turn a corner in a road where he could lose sight of me, 
I looked back and saw him still standing with head uncovered where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat in adieu, I rounded the corner and out of sight in an instant. But my heart was too full and sore to carry me further, so I darted into the side of the road and wept for a time. Then, raising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he, if yet, if he yet stood where I had left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me. He did not see me. And after he gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face toward home, and began to return. His head, his head still uncovered, and his heart, I felt sure, still raising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze. And then, hastening on my way, I vowed deeply and oft by the help of God to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he given me. It's again from his autobiography. James Patton employed no special parenting techniques as we know of. There is no record of any secret successful parenting that was left behind. Rather, he walked with God through a sincere faith in Jesus Christ and a genuine repentance of sin. And he lived this way openly before his family, as we all should. So, again, I, I, I apologize. I, I wept for the seventh time after reading this. But I hope this um, gives you a little glimpse into what uh, I'm going to be speaking about in the next couple of weeks. But I hope that kind of set the tone uh, for this journey moving forward. Um, it was very impactful to me. Hope this uh, journey will be impactful to you all, uh, fathers and mothers. Uh, and I, I just want to say this while I'm here, is I want to thank you all for praying for me and my family, and uh, how it was such a wonderful blessing to sit with my father and share the gospel with him. Shall we close?